and APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialists. 631 631- Two six one six four two zero. That's six three one two six one six four two zero. Auto Excellence. Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No. I mean, I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental, Long Island, New York. Six three one nine hundred dump. Elm Logistics, for all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics, pride, performance, and partnerships. Hey everybody and welcome back to the second edition of Wrestling Remembered. This is ESO and I'm here with the player Benny Scala and what a day Joe Lowry. What's going on guys? What a day, what a day. Another day in Playerville. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Playerville, there you go. <laughs> so how's it going guys? What's new? What's, uh, what's what a day got going on this week? What a day's busy again. Twill Bill, Twin Bill Baseball Podcast. We're going live tonight on What a Day in Centerville. Looking forward to tomorrow night's action on the Monty and Farrow in the the 30. That's going to be exciting. But uh, other than that, just a lot of everything and a whole bunch of nothing. How's that? <laughs> sounds <laughs> sounds about normal. What about you, Benny? Yeah. What's going on, man? Much of the same. Busy, busy. So Monday, uh, the Brittany Brown, the Boston Bear Girl, and I uh, recorded the uh, fourth episode of True Crime with uh, the Bad Girl and the Player. We had the subject was uh, Tamara Sitch, a.k.a. Sonny. Ooh. And then last night it was Dan and Benny uh, with um, Gary Morgenstein, who used to write for Pro Wrestling yeah, yeah. Illustrated. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good guy. And uh, uh, we also did uh, Twin Bill yesterday. Yeah, we're just rocking and rolling. Yeah, rocking yeah. Rolling. Twin Bill. Uh, we covered epic home runs in the history of baseball. We got this. And then tomorrow we got the 30, which we're all going to be gunning for the gold. The 30. I'm, I'm winning that title. I am winning yeah, that title. I, Joe, I think Vegas odds right now are about seven six. So you oh, had me up they, there. They, Crap they keep, had me up there last week. I don't know what happened, but they keep narrowing. So I mean, they they, they think the money is on you right now. Yeah, it's that championship uh, advantage at the end. He gets to go last. It's that's that's yeah that's tough. And I mean, and Betty, I got to be honest, it was very controversial last week. Hey, it wasn't yeah. a clean win. Well, Betty, it, stop it, messing with my messing with my microphone when I'm on. Uh, there you go. I think, I think you know, Phil had his foot on the ropes. Phil did like a superstar Billy Graham when he pinned Bruno. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was weird. I, I was leading that whole match, and then at the very end, he came from behind. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm telling you. Almost felt like Johnny Rods and Jose Estrada, you know? Yeah. Almost, I mean, and I got, I got, I got the Duke. I almost got the Duke. I got a two-point penalty, and that kind of nicked that kick me out of the finals yeah you keep killing yourself for these penalties that play well, I, I mean there was never a cursing penalty I, they must have just in, in you know in, i have to check the 30 bylaws yeah. because that wasn't in there the last time i looked cursing yeah, I, was allowed i haven't signed anything yet so we'll have to figure that out so, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's uh whatever monty feels on the uh on the moment 
But, uh, yeah, there are no rules. What rules? <laughs> it's like the WWE Hall of Fame. It's in Vince McMahon's head, right? No kidding, huh? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Vinny Mac. Vinny Mac. Not looking too hot. You see him at the UFC thing the other night? Oh, my God. He's not looking well. I don't know what's going on. He looks look. like Wayne Newton's doppelganger. Like, I'm, t- like, I'm talking like, about Wayne, Wayne modern Wayne, Wayne Newton. Newton. Oh. I don't know what's up. Yeah, he I does sort of. Either that or he has that, yeah. like, uh, a Walt Di- weird, like an evil Walt Disney look to him. Yeah, right. yeah. And you know it's on purpose. You know it's on purpose. Ever since Endeavor took over, it's he's done this this move, this this new look here. It's just off the wall. <laughs> I don't get it because nobody really wants to look at him anyway. Just, you know. <laughs> Stay at home and count your money. Just bring me back to Saturday morning championship wrestling. I'll be yeah, Dave, bring me back to Davey O'Hannon versus Silvano Souza. I'm good. There you go. Absolutely. Oh, Israel Matia. There you go. Wouldn't a Saturday morning wrestling program be great again? We're just a oh, week. yeah. yeah we're I, just, I mean, I watch it on YouTube all the time on Saturday mornings at that time. I, I just put it on there just to put it on there. It's great. It was such a simple formula. Yeah. It was squash matches interviews and you know the other the occasional you know pearl harbor during the interview to set up yeah. you know set up the feud for or the you know the, the, whatever event was happening at the garden and it, it's it's sold tickets and it was always a tag team title championships that changed hands on television always yeah everything else didn't change in so it's over. and it was never a clean win and you never, never saw hulk hogan on tv unless it was an interview <laughs> Exactly. You rarely saw Bruno Sam back in the day. Bruno rarely, oh, when yeah. he was in his heyday, you just he would occasionally promote his next match for the Garden, yep. and he usually got attacked uh, yep. by you know Toro Tanaka, whoever it was. I think even one time Shohei Baba, when Baba was oh, in wow. New York, he wow. he uh, put Bruno to sleep. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Backlund, Serious stuff. Backlund never really made an appearance. If he did, it was a squash match or a scientific match, or you right. know the. Uh, Ever famous uh, Harvard step pest routine, which Sergeant Slaughter did took him down with, <laughs> and and his failed attempts at the uh, Persian clubs. Oh, remember that? Yeah. That oh, was, yeah. That was the prelude to the title change. Yep. I mean, I still, whenever you mention any one of those moments, like I, I remember exactly where I was yeah. and like how I felt. I mean, it was still so real to us. Yeah. Yesterday was the uh, my forty second anniversary of the night I got magnificent Morocco's blood on my hands. Oh, wow. Quick story on that. December 5th, 1981, steel cage match, Boston Garden. Uh, Backlund, Morocco doing their thing. Morocco gets tied up to the ropes. He's bleeding like a mad. Backlund walks out for the win. I run over to the ring entrance, and I take my hand, and I swipe Bruno's, I mean, uh, Morocco's forehead. And I had blood on my hands. I kept it on my hands all weekend long until I went to school so I could show everybody that I got Morocco's blood on my hands. And he didn't like that very much. He looked at me. I was gonna, that was going to be my question. How did he react to that? And then I interviewed him a few years back. He doesn't even remember that. But uh, right. I remember fondly. And then I, when I uh, did my podcast back then, somebody on Facebook actually had a picture of Morocco coming out of the cage at the garden that night. So 40 years later, somebody sends me a photo of Morocco leaving the cage, the garden that night, right before wow. I wiped my hands on it. So Damn. I always tell that story. I was very overzealous when I was a kid back then, you know. But that's how much we love wrestling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to make sure the blood was real, and boy, it was. It was on my hand for a whole weekend. <laughs> nice. Nice. So you guys ready to get this going? Yeah. yeah we, got? we got some good stuff this week. Yeah, yeah we do. Yo, Benny, why don't you get us started? I think I'm first up, so... Uh, this, so we're going to cover December 4th 
through December the 10th. So uh, December 4th, 1991, uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. WWF Commissioner Jack Tunney announces that Hulk Hogan has been stripped of the WWF Championship as a result of the controversial finish to his match with The Undertaker at this Tuesday in Texas. This was not announced until that weekend's episode of WWF Superstars. Tunney also announced that the winner of the upcoming Royal Rumble would be awarded the WWF Championship. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was Ric Flair. But I wanted to make a remark about uh, Tunney. Uh, Jack Tunney, to me, and this is just me, as a wrestling fan, he was my last link to kayfabe. You know, I mean, we knew that he wasn't really a commissioner. We knew that he was a he was the greatest but, commissioner of all time. What do you? But, but yeah, I mean, just you know, when you when you you know they zoomed in on him and he, you know yeah. Jack Tunney and he's behind the desk and you know he <laughs> looks so official he looks and so important. Uh, yep, he he did right. I mean, he, he presided over the contract signing with Hulk and uh, Andre. That's what WrestleMania I three. Yeah. Um, now he does. I mean, he does come from a legendary wrestling family. His dad, um, Jack Tunney. Yeah. Was the uh, promoter in uh, in Toronto? Oh wow! Okay, right. He was uh, the, when yeah, that Bruno. Was the that was, wasn't that the yeah, deal? Bru- that, yeah, uh, when, uh, when the he deal. took over that territory, that he would keep Tunney on. Yeah, I that, think that so. might have been. But you know, when Bruno won the championship, uh, Bruno was blackballed all over the country. Vince Senior at one point screwed him, uh, double booked him, and Bruno yeah. made one of the bookings, didn't make the other. Uh, he was on his way out. So when he went to go wrestle somewhere else, oh, we, you can't, you're suspended. He, oh. you, got, you got suspended everywhere. And uh, pretty much everywhere in the United States. But but uh, uh, wow. Tunney took a uh, uh, a chance. Frank Tunney took a yeah. chance on Bruno. He was there like a year and a half. I guess at that point, the uh, the WWF was uh, faltering. Uh, and, uh, you know, they then Vince Sr. called Bruno back. And he said, uh, Bruno's... Vince Sr. said, what would it take for you to come back? He said, a title match with Buddy Rogers. Of oh, course, the rest go. is history. But, wow. um, yeah, I mean, Bruno and uh, Tunney asked Bruno, uh, would you uh, – I guess they had a, every other Sunday at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Uh, he said, you know, would you still honor your commitment? So for, uh, several years after that, Bruno would travel to Toronto every wow. other Sunday just to honor the commitment, just out of gratitude to Tunney for uh, – you know, for reviving his wrestling career because he pretty much was going to go uh, back back into construction. He was a construction worker. Yeah, I, the thing about Toronto, I always remind, I get reminded of back in the day in the magazines and later on cable when they walked to the ring, they were on this ramp from the dressing room to the ring. They didn't like they didn't enter the ring, you know, the conventional way, going up the stairs. Yes, was, yes, you're right. Yes, great walkway, and I thought that was like, oh, that kind of like. You know, Andre would walk out. He'd be like, he was big enough as it is, but geez, you put him on this ramp. Yeah, then his like, head scraping the ceiling, right? I'm like, oh my goodness! But a lot of history up there in Toronto, the, the uh, wrestling. Yeah, so I, I, I very fond memories of Jack Tunney. Nice, nice, nice. It looks like I'm up, right? Yes, sir. All right, twelve four two thousand, Lincoln, Nebraska. WCW Commissioner Mike Sanders awards the vacant WCW Tag Team Titles to. The perfect event, a.k.a. Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak, obviously uh, former WWE alum. Um, this is the 15th title change since April 10th. Um, I'll be honest with you. I did not watch Nitro after 99, and I'll tell you why. By now, 12 December of 2000, WCW is on a downward spiral. 
They're circling the drain. Ratings are in the tank. Everyone is way overpaid, grossly overpaid. TBS, everybody, TNT, they're all looking to overhaul the company. Not a good time in WCW unless you were the Kevin Nashes and the Scott Halls and you were making six figures for one or two appearances a month and all that stuff. But the funny thing, when I'm looking at the date on this, did you know it was only three months later that Vince bought WCW? So this is, you know, you talk about 15 tag title uh, championship changes in what seven eight months this is ridiculous yeah unbelievable like yeah. this how many, how many of those really... titles did you catch uh, capture benny <laughs> <laughs> zero zero unbelievable yeah. but, but, but that's the one thing that catch out it was 2000 when nitro just really plummeted and like i said three months later boom Vince McMahon buys WCW and the rest is history on that end so yeah uh, i mean you're, you're right that's a good point you know, i mean by, by well, the summer of 2000 so definitely circling the drain. Yeah, when, when you definitely. have when you have Chuck Palombo and uh, Sean Stasiak winning the world titles, when neither one of them was had ever gotten over at that point, that shows oh, you where that where that. Well, that, and, and and when you have Mike Sanders as the commissioner, you're really circling the drain. Yeah, I'm like, I, I, I didn't watch it then. I didn't know. I think it was like ninety eight, ninety nine. I the two TVs, one of them went away, and I just stuck to WWE. Above, above average Mike Sanders, and his finisher yep. was the three the 3.0. Well, yeah, WWF was must watch at that point. WCW oh, yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that we were full attitude era going. Correct. Full blown. Full blown. So, next, we're going to fast forward one more year and we have the first iteration of Vince McMahon's Kiss My Ass Club as Vince ends up losing a match and he and although he is supposed to kiss the Rock's ass, gets swerved into uh smooching Rikishi's ass instead. <laughs> oh, oh my so, God! Two of the angles I could that really, I mean, they were kind of cringe, cringy as it was. Was that that kiss my ass club that Vince had, and that stink face era with Rikishi? I'm sorry, both of those when, when they happened, I was like, oh, felt so bad for the for those the, the recipients of those. But uh, you felt it, you felt oh. it, and smelt it. You felt it and who, smelt uh, it. Who actually had kissed his ass full full blown? Okay, I, I agree had, with it, right? Regal, uh, Jr. Regal. Yep, Jr. Uh, did. I remember that was embarrassing. Did that's she... I mean, God, talk about humiliation. Wasn't there Trish couple... Stratus involved in an angle with that too? Might have been something like that. I think she had to get. This is full blown attitude error right here. This yeah. is like raunchy as you can get. Oh one. Oh, this Pick, is Vince I McMahon mean, just living his fantasies at, at this point. He's just oh, yeah. he can do whatever he wants, and he he knows it. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Yeah, oh my but, God. That's, and this, that promo was like shown like every week on Raw, Rikishi going into Vince McMahon. <laughs> okay. But you have to give him credit; he was willing to take it too. You know, yep. it, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Took the he took the the stink face. So <laughs> unbelievable! Great memories, great memories. <laughs> Absolutely. So what do we got? What do we've got next here? So yesterday, December the fifth. So December fifth, nineteen fifty-one. So we have to wish a one-day belated. Uh, happy uh, happy seventy second birthday to Larry Whistler. Nobody knows who Larry Whistler is, but ah. everybody knows who Larry Zbysko is. Sure, and uh, he ignited, in my opinion, the greatest feud in in wrestling history when he turned on his real life mentor, Bruno Sammartino. I mean, what? I, I don't care. To me, that will always be the greatest feud of all time. And it was there was a, a certain bit of reality. I mean, Bruno was his mentor, Larry right. Zbysko. When he was like 16, 17 years old, got a car. His mom worked in the same church, I guess, that Bruno went to. And so he got Bruno's address. One day he gets dry. He sums up enough nerve to uh, drive to Bruno's house. 
and he sees Bruno sunning in the backyard. He can climb, goes through the hedges, which you know some of those hedges are pretty nasty. Uh, <laughs> probably has all kinds of probably bleeding and you know scratched up. And uh, Bruno, I mean Bruno was very gracious to him, and they started chatting. Yeah, friendship oh, wow. was formed, and you know, I mean, so that that feud went against everything that up till then. You know, I mean, it was very formulaic. The you know yeah. Bruno's Bruno's opponents. I mean, they they you know they build up a guy usually from another territory. You know, have him go through. You know, usually it was a couple of prelims, and then either uh, sure. uh, Danucci or Pugliese, You know, Bruno's cousin or Bruno's best friend. Either that or that they you know they'd they'd attack Arnold Skolan. You know, right. get Bruno all enraged and set up the match. And then sure. if it was a really good feud, they'd get three MSG sellouts out of it. There you and go. then the, you know, and then the guy went down the cart a little bit, uh, and eventually went out of the territory. But this this is like a homegrown talent who'd been there for a while, you know, turning on his mentors. They they, I mean, it worked though. Yep. They I mean, they, they they could have printed money with that feud. Yeah, we were talking before the show, you know, Saturday morning wrestling and all that stuff. But that was one hell of a blade job job Bruno had. Yeah, Bruno to me is the greatest wrestler of all time, but maybe the worst blader of all oh, time. But he was he 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 cut himself pretty good. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I remember I, like there was literally a pool of blood in the ring because I mean, I remember just just Zavisco jumping off. Zavisco needed uh, police escorts to and from arenas after that because once he came back to New York and all that, forget about it. Well, Zabisco had sometimes had to hide in the, in, the, <clears throat> in the trunk of a car just to get you know. I mean, crazy sure. stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm and sure I, and my vision of Larry Zabisco is that AWA and into the WCW, uh, AW, or yeah. NWA, WCW era. And I have to say, I was never impressed with Zabisco. I always thought he was kind of like a a second-rate wrestler because of the eras that right. I saw him. In AWA, yeah. he was never presented right, even though they tried to make him a main eventer. He never came across that way. And by the time he got into the WCW, NWA era, he was already past his prime and uh, just really, really wasn't fitting in and it's cool to see hear some of these older things to know where Zabisco came from I know he was, wasn't he yeah. second generation also yes yeah, was it Stanley or I don't think he was really I don't think he was related to him no. I, I, oh, just was no, a, I don't know that for a fact I don't know that for a fact I but. tell you what though Bruce I did I completely agree with you I mean he really I mean yeah he won the AWA I think he was the last AWA champion um yeah, but you Lawler. know the other thing yeah, is he, he was very with Waller yeah Vern Gagne's son-in-law, so I guess that helped just a little <laughs> bit, right? But go. um, uh, and he was very his when he went to WCW, very lackluster. I mean, in the, at the end, they were kind of jobbing him out. But I think where he really kind of regained some momentum was uh, as a commentator, uh, you know, during the onset of the NWO, because he really was over as a commentator. Right. No, I agree. I agree. He was great as a commentator. He he, he was that uh, quintessential pro wrestler who could talk. In wrestle, I mean, I think when he was um, turned uh, heel in WWF, he had Grand Wizard as his manager, and he didn't need anybody to talk for him. I don't no, think. I, I tell mean, you what, though, if, if anybody has two minutes, go on YouTube and type in Larry Zbysko Hall of Fame induction speech. Oh yeah, it's my favorite induction speech of all time. Yeah, that was a good one. That was good. All right, looks like I'm up now. Correct? Yeah. Let me see here. Again, December 5th, 2004, Orlando, Florida. TNA presents Turning Point from Universal Studios. The event is relatively insignificant other than this is Macho Man Randy Savage last professional wrestling match. Now, 
looking this stuff up, the card was okay. N- not a lot of household names. AJ Styles pops out. That was a good one. Jeff Hardy and Randy Savage de- defeated Jeff Jarrett, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall. So TNA at this point was that newfound um, promotion where almost, I almost want to say that you, <laughs> where wrestlers go to die, so to speak. I mean, you got all these has-beens from WWF, WWE, of course, WCW. But like I said, this the only momentous thing about this is this was Macho Man's last match um, before you know he, he retired and so forth. But he didn't die until 2011, which is shocking because he was making movies and everything. He was in decent shape. I'm surprised he didn't wrestle after that. Yeah. In 04, he passed in uh, 2011. He was in tons of movies, Spider-Man, all those things. And he was in great shape. I'm shocked that this was his very last wrestling match. That's he was yeah, 59, one. I think. But you're right; he was in, yeah. still in really good shape. Right? Definitely in wrestling shape. And everybody else, you know, want to come in one more time. You know, you you would have thought. I honestly think if um if he did not pass away um unceremoniously and obviously um, quickly, um unexpectedly, I meant to say, he might have wrestled a few more times. I think we might have, he, we he might have seen been, him again. He, he would have been good for that one off or whatever. You know. Or something like that. He'd definitely still be announcing somewhere, whether it be AEW, WWE, or wherever. Right. Um, you know that much. But um, that was very interesting that uh, I got that assignment. But that that's what I came up with for that one. So that was pretty So it, do you think TNA was AEW with no money? I don't – yeah, I would say Dixie, Dixie Carter owned them at that time, right? Right. If I'm and correct. now they're rebranding she, I mean, back to TNA now, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, they're trying to bring back TNA. Um, I think it was – they don't want the five-sided ring back. I know that. Thankfully. <laughs> That was like the worst experiment ever. When I see those old videos with Jay Lethal and all, and I see this five-sided ring, I'm like, what are they? Th-? That to me is circus right there. You know, you can no longer call that the squared circle or, you know, the the ring or whatever. Right. It's, it's, you, you just can't. I know they're trying to be different and all that stuff, but don't bring that back. Don't bring it back. I saw a picture no this week of the first steel cage match ever, and it was actually oh, a circular cage inside of the ring. And it was, I believe, it was oh, like wow. 1938 or something like that. And it was okay. a wow, one, that... one by pinfall, but it was pretty crazy. Like, it was, looked like, you know, a wrestling ring like we would expect. But inside sure. it was a circular uh, a, a fencing for the cage. Like, they got it from the circus where the lines were kept or whatever, you know, <laughs> to keep the audience yeah, safe from the lines. Either, That's what it looked like to me. I think it was 1938. Yeah. I got to see if I can find that. It came up on my Facebook. It was on sale at Home Depot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Sears. Home Sears. Depot's been around that long? <laughs> was Sears Roebuck. Come on. They ordered it from the Capitol. Oh, you're, you're right. Yeah, I didn't know Home Depot in 1938. There you go. There you go. So, All right, who's up next? Yeah, let's let's fast forward another year to North Carolina. Or North Charleston, South Carolina, excuse me. Eric Bischoff's three-and-a-half-year tenure as Raw GM comes to an unceremonious end as he's subject to a mock trial, fired, and then dumped into the back of a trash truck. Oi. 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 Well, let's face it. Eric, Eric Bischoff took five minutes of fame and turned it into a career. That You have to... You have to be impressed by him. He used a fake resume to get oh, yeah. hired by AWA, used fake credentials to get become a president of WCW. Man, he's come on. You got to give the guy some credit, but what a weasel. If, he, if there that's was the ever big, a weasel in this industry, that's him. That's the biggest work of all right there. When you can get in like that, you're working the workers. <laughs> I, I am like, there's there's very few people in, re- in the wrestling business that I dislike, and he's one of them. Wow, okay. 
I just I don't think I don't think much of him. And he's he's one of these people that just loves to hear himself talk. I mean, if you listen to his podcast, yeah. I I think if, if the only person that listened to his podcast was was himself, he'd still do it. Oh, you probably you never know. Yeah. I mean, he, he came across to me like he knew what he was doing, but you know, watching the documentaries and watching the downfall of WCW, that that man was not a businessman. He was a promoter, yes. He'll do whatever it takes to get the job done and get the and get the butts in the seats. But as a businessman, horrible, horrible, horrible. He was the number one reason why WCW went bankrupt. He an, another, know? I mean, Tony Khan, you know, with with you know an unlimited checkbook, except that it really wasn't unlimited because at some point uh, Ted Turner got tired of losing money. Yeah, and he's always good for a comment or two on the, the, the status of pro wrestling nowadays. He's always he keeps he keeps himself relevant. You got to give him that. Even for somebody who's technically not in the biz anymore, so he's still you mean Bischoff? Yeah, Bischoff. Yeah, I mean, he's got that eighty-three weeks. So you know, you turned uh, something that happened what twenty-six, yeah. twenty-seven years ago, and uh, still talking about it. But that's what we do in wrestling. Like, that's it. Eighty-three weeks to a career. <laughs> right there, you go. We remember wrestling. That's what we do. Right. Shameless plug. Sorry. <laughs> no. There is no shame. There you go. All right. Well, here I go. Ben. We're back in Toronto, uh, December 6, 1989. Wow. Candy Devine defeated Judy Martin to win the AWA Women's Championship for the fifth time. Uh, Devine would be the last woman to hold the title. And the AWA folded within a, a little bit over a year after that. I mean, they were already circling the drain. Um, you know, so I this is a re- relatively, you know, insignificant event, but it, I wanted to ask the hypothetical question that if, if, you know, take back to you back to 1983 when uh, Bo- uh, Hogan wrestled Bockwinkle in front of a sellout crowd at the St. Paul Civic Center and everybody in that entire arena thought that Hulk was walking out with the title and, they, you know, they, they, they did the typical dusty finish and uh, they just DQ'd Hogan. Um if they had given him the belt, I don't think it would have changed things that much. I mean, I think eventually he would have went up in WWF. But do you think he could have staved off the demise of WCW for a little while? The NWA there? You mean, you mean the AWA? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think I can answer this honestly because – Hogan, my my uh, Hogan era was that rock and wrestling that started a year later. That's what brought me into wrestling okay. fanhood. So honestly, I don't know where I would be as a wrestling fan if it weren't for that jump of Hulk Hogan over to the WWF. I mean, at least to another whole debate, though. Like, could somebody else have carried that ball? I mean, could could Mister Wonderful have carried? Could he have carried that ball for a little bit, maybe? Or could no. could Piper or could Snooker if Snooker was you know. See, the whole thing here is, um, if memory serves me right, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the fact that he didn't win the title that night, it was because there was already a, some sort of, I don't know if it was a handshake agreement or whatever. Bottom line was 81-82, uh, Hogan asked um, Vince's dad to take some time off to film Rocky Three, And Vince Sr. was like, no, we have you booked. Right. He's like, well, screw it, I'm, I'm out of here. So he went to the AWA, he did his movie, went to AWA, but then all of a sudden, Vince Jr. buys WWE, WWF, whatever. And the, the rest is really history. W- would have it staved off AWA for a little while? I don't know. I mean, they were red hot at that time. You saw the arena. There was chaos. Um, I, never I, mean, you, you, I think it was like 20, 22,000 people. And then they, and they were like, throwing everything they could in that ring. They had, yeah, and they had a closed circuit TV like across yeah. the street. And even and there was 5,000 people there. I mean, yep. were you guys I mean, exposed Bobby to Heenan this? 
were you guys able to like follow this or was it because I know you guys are kind of both up in the northeast was it something you guys could follow the AWA at that point um, Wait, I, I don't think I'm trying to think of when uh, um, AWA came on ESPN I think it was actually was after 80s. that I was late 80s I got my yeah. AWA news really from the wrestling magazines and they put that cover of Hogan getting robbed on every single wrestling magazine then so when that hit the newsstands you knew something was up but the weird part was is by the time that hit the newsstands he was already uh already coming back to the WWE. He jumped so, ship pretty quick after this. It wasn't it wasn't that much that, longer. And I always I always wonder, I mean, would you, you got to know that Vince McMahon Jr. Vince Jr. he yeah. would have done whatever it took to get Hulk yeah. In, how popular, in how popular was Hogan at that point before he came into the WWF? He, he, he was hugely over in AWA. Yeah, he was huge. He, he was, was a megastar. I mean, was he, he like national? I really like. I know he had been in Rocky, but was he like that national figure? He already? was getting big in the Midwest, and I do believe uh, his wife, um, no, his ex-wife now, was selling the original Hulkamania T-shirts out of her the, her the back of her car because he would put those shirts on. In pose for the wrestling magazines and every like, well, what's Hulkamania? Like you, you talk about like, what is it? Vince grabbed a hold of that right away when that when that happened. He was yeah. hot. He was very hot. He, and he, he, his stock soared right after that. It, it and, wasn't like a Backlund deal. I mean, Backlund was a total unknown when he when he came into the WWF. Right. Hogan was a known commodity to like to hardcore wrestling fans. They knew what he had done in AWA and the he movie theaters. Did. In the movie theaters, right? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, Thunderlips. So, I think um, legend has it that Vern Gagne offered the Iron Sheik $100,000 to break his leg in the title match yes. at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Remember, that's, both those men say that's true. So, you know, the Iron Sheik no longer with us, but Hogan has, has said publicly that he was told that, that, you know, this could be a dangerous situation. And that's how bad the business was getting for everybody else because Vince, once they knew Hulk Hogan was coming to WWE, that territory system which started to, the decline, and we all know what happened after that. But Vern Gagne was adamant that he had a handshake deal with Hogan and all that, and Hogan said, "I'm out of here." And I think that had a lot to do with that that title match that, you know, he supposedly wanted, then he didn't win it, and and I felt bad for um, me and Gene Oakland had to make the announcement after all that. Stanley oh yeah, Blackburn, and then and to get everybody home safe. Hogan had to like throw Bachwinkle out and throw him into the, you know, get him down the runway. And then Heenan had to take a few bumps. So Bachwinkle go back to the, uh, the dressing room. That, that crowd was hot that night. Very, yeah. very hot. You can YouTube those videos. You'll see it. It was the night Hogan got robbed. It was all over every wrestling magazine. I remember that growing up. Absolutely. So let's go, uh, let's go across the pond to London, England uh, in 19, uh, 1998. We have WWE. It's uh, no, it's still WWF at that time. They presented the UK exclusive Capital Carnage pay per view. The card itself relatively insignificant. However, the show is noted for uh, Jr. had his second bout uh, attack of Bell's palsy just after learning mm. that his mother had passed away. Uh, yeah, yeah, for reasons unknown. When he when he did come back, they tried to turn him heel, but that didn't really work out because uh, when he kicked Michael Claw the balls, the crowd popped. 
So of course, <laughs> easiest way to turn the crowd. Yeah, any wrestler rather just have have kick Michael Cole in the nuts. Yeah, it really was. It was a relatively insignificant insignificant card. Uh, Draz defeated Ma- Draz defeated Mosh Gangrel and Al- defeated Al Snow. Uh, the Headbangers wow. defeated the Legion of Doom. I don't know how that is ever possible. That would have never happened in WCW. That had to have been like a DQ finish or something, right? That had to have been, no way was that a pinfall. I, I, is, yeah, that can't be. It couldn't be a clean finish. Yeah, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, uh, Val Venus defeated Goldust. Uh, Tiger Ali Singh defeated Edge. Christian and Sable defeated Jacqueline and Mark Merrow. Uh, Ken Shamrock defeated Steve Blackman. Triple H defeated Jeff Jarrett. The New Age Outlaws defeated D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. The Rock wow. defeated X Pac and Stone Cold Steve wow. Austin. Defe- uh, defeated Kane, uh, Mankind, and The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. Sounds like WrestleMania. I was going to say, there was a lot of matches there. Yeah, so Sounds now like take a look at this, this insignificant card going on in the UK. And right. now compare it to last week's Survivor Series. Oh, yeah. 11 matches. A lot of stuff that it may not be you know top of the card, guys, but there was so much going on there. Where the Survivor right. Series, we had five, this past one, five matches. And honestly, th- three of them... They felt like they were part of a, yeah, the, a Monday Night the, Raw. I hear right. what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, Bruce. I think because it was new back then. Plus, don't forget we're pre-SmackDown here, so we don't have a brand split. You had the same stars on every week, and that's what they did. You know, and they pulled us off. I mean, yeah, relatively insignificant, but the fact is, they're in London, England, holding a pay-per-view, which I'm pretty sure at that time had to have been like one of the first times that's ever been done. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, I mean, hey. There's money. There's money, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so moving over. on. Looks like looks like I'm back up. 12-6, 2004, Charlotte, North Carolina. We got Lita defeating Trish Stratus to win the WWE Women's Championship on Monday Night Raw. This will be the last time a women's match will close out the show until October 4th, 2016. Uh, when Sasha Banks, I'm not going to call her eggnog. Oh, come on, man. Defeat Charlotte Flair to win the WWE Women's Championship. She, she's got that eggnog voice. You know when you drink eggnog and you have that like phlegm in your throat? Yeah. yeah that's that's Sasha Banks all no, the time. Hey, Mercedes Monet, as we yeah. all know her now. Um, yeah, this is uh, right out of 2016, October 4th. This is when they just got came out of, um, what do you call it, NXT. Because NXT was relatively new, um, Sasha Banks, Charlotte, and all them. Obviously, the original Full Horse Women, uh, great match, and so forth. But what I found out during this was, uh, yes, um, you know, Trish and Lita made an event, but you know what else happened that night? It's the night that Fozzie and Chris Jericho hosted the Rock and Roll Limbo A Go Go, oh, wow. featuring Divas Candice, who's right behind me, right there. The uh, Maria, Melina, and Stacy Keebler. Wow. And Christy, I, I think they meant to say Christy Hemi, won in the limbo. But everything was stopped short by Muhammad Hassan and Kasrav Davari, who let everyone know that Hassan's debut would come on Raw next week. So, you know, that's an interesting tutelage. You got a, the women's main event there, but the most talked about highlight of the night was uh, the Y2J and Fozzie. I didn't know Fozzie and them been around that long. I know he's been singing for years, but I didn't know Fozzie, the group, was around that long. So yeah, that's a while ago. same here. Yep, everything. So that was the highlight for, for that night. Yeah, Fozzie, he's been involved with Fozzie before, since before he came into WW, WWF. 
That's been, oh, yeah. that 20, was his 20 plus years. Wow. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, I, me thought was like yeah. a, I, I knew he was a Kiss yeah. fan and he likes music and sings and all, but I didn't know they were. I heard about his cruises and all that stuff pre AEW, but yeah, I didn't know that uh, he was actually, they were actually on a, who a episode of Raw. Who would have thought he actually would become it? When I was sitting with Pharaoh last year uh, hosting, you know, Pharaoh being a musician, he said to me, he was like, uh, you know, always said, you know, Jericho says he's a musician. He, where's his hit? Where's his hit? But then once Judas came out, he proved himself yeah. that he is multidimensional there. Oh, yeah. Great song, great song. Still singing it in arenas today. I, oh, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I hear it. At a, I, I bartend, and people play it constantly. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I laugh because I'm like, they're not wrestling fans. They just enjoy the song. No. Well, there's the crossover right there, mainstream. Right. Here you go. So let's go right, on to, uh, let's see where we are. Let's finish, take this one, then we'll take a quick break there. Uh, we're going to move on to December 7th, 1988 in Ch- Chattanooga, Tennessee. WCW Clash of Champions for Seasons Beatings. Well, the card itself was relatively insignificant, but this was the first Bad time it had been under a WCW banner from the NWA banner, though. So, right. yeah, it is a it is a relatively insignificant. I just lost my page. A relatively insignificant card there. It was the the Fantastics defeated El- Eddie Gilbert and Ron Simmons. Doctor Death Steve Williams defeated the Italian Stallion. Ivan Koloff defeated Paul Jones. Road Warrior Animal defeated Dusty Rhodes by disqualification. The odd thing on this one was this was for a one-on-one match to control the six-man tag team title. So that that was a oh, little wow. odd. And then the, the final match of the night was Ric Flair with Barry Windham defeating the Midnight Express, but the Bobby wow. and Stan Lane version. So you know, that's definitely a who's who of wrestling on there, even though it was oh, a yeah. relatively insignificant card. But I just found that Dusty Rhodes, uh, Road Warrior animal match a little bit odd there. No kidding, yeah. And obviously this is Ted Turner's first pay-per-view, right? Because he had purchased WCW like before that. This, this is the first one under the WCW banner it's, after NWA. So yeah, I would assume that's Turner, right? Did he rebrand it right away to WCW or did he wait? I think he did rebrand it because I know uh, NWA was under the Georgia Championship Wrestling at 6 o'clock on Saturday nights. And they changed that to World Championship Wrestling. But that was just a title. I think WCW got rebranded like 87, 88. If memory serves me right. I, I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because I want to say, because I, I remember Ronnie Garvin, Hands of Stone won the title in 87. They still The big gold belt was still considered the uh, NWA title, and after that it was switched over to WCW. So. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, I think you're right, because I remember going to, one year when I went to, I, the only time I got exposed to this was going to Florida and visiting family. That's the only time I could watch it. And, uh, yeah, one year it was Georgia Championship Wrestling, and then the following year it was yeah. World Championship Wrestling. That's right. So, yeah, it might have been uh, – it had been his first pay-per-view for Ted Turner. Cool. All right, good stuff. So what do we got going? I think this is you. Back to you, Benny. All righty. So December 7th, 1989, Collin County, Texas, wrestling legend William Hastecks Calhoun passed away at the age of 55. Uh, although he was a lifelong Texan, he was billed from – and I, I have no idea if this town even exists – you know, like Buzzard Creek, Oregon is a fictional town. Morgan's Corner, Arkansas. And he initially debuted as Country Boy Calhoun when he broke into wrestling in the 50s. But he gained the name Haystacks when he uh, uh, appeared on Art Linkletter's house party. And he performed an exhibition of strength by uh, tossing bales of hay. Good oh. thing it wasn't like bags of cow poop. He would have had a whole different nickname. 
right? <laughs> so, uh, and he won a ton of championships, but all of them, you know, around the country, uh, all all as part of a tag team, including the uh, WWF Tag Team Championship with Tony Gurria. Now, there's a guy that should be in the Hall of Fame. Why is that guy not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, me and Rick Martel, my favorite tag team. I do not. Uh, Tony Gurria was five-time champion, tag oh, team yeah. champion. Yep. Just solid as they come. Uh, now, Haystacks was inducted posthumously in uh, 2017. Yep. And Bruno even has said that, Bruno San Martino, that one of the things that really helped elevate his career was when he wrestled Haystacks at the Garden. Okay. And Haystacks actually allowed Bruno to lift him up. Yeah. I mean, Bruno wasn't going to lift him up if Haystacks didn't want him. As strong as Bruno was, yeah. you're not lifting up a 600-pound guy. And he was legit 600 pounds. Well, that's the art of putting someone over, right? That'd be doing something like that, allowing that to happen. So I don't. I think it's the one and only instance where he was actually lifted off his feet. Wow. Now, was it true that he had a strange body odor? Did that I don't know. I heard that he because um, he was. A I would imagine at six hundred pounds. I mean, you know, you got all kinds of folds in your skin, and you might have like a ring ding junior. Yeah, he wrestled barefoot, you, correct? He you know, you forgot. To, yeah, he he did. He did. You so know, you got that so, going on right off right off the get go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, he had to like eat, you know, pepperoni before a match, and you know, it wasn't very pleasant God, in there. Oh God! Yeah, I, he he might have. Yeah, it probably wasn't. You know, hopefully, asked for a little bit of extra combat pay yeah. when you when you wrestle the yeah. guy. But well, he lost. I remember when I I think I was fourteen. I saw him at Sunnyside Garden. Sunnyside Gardens in Queens, New York. Yes, yes, sir. And he was in a tag match. I forgot. I think. I want to say Victor Rivera was his partner, but oh, wow. he uh, he got knocked. And a lot of his losses were countouts because once he got knocked out of the ring, there yeah. was no way he was coming back in. He <laughs> oh, couldn't wow. make it back in, the, you know, with the count. Wow. Very oh, rarely he got pinned. Yeah, I mean, he's a big guy. I remember seeing him in the wrestling magazines growing up. Um, of course, he he did. I never saw him wrestle live, but I used to see the old flashbacks and the videos and all that. He was a big man, very very big man, borderline circus act. It was yeah, definitely it, an you attraction. Know I mean? You didn't see him but, all the time, but yeah. But hey, whenever he was on the card, good crowds would follow. So I guess Always that's what he had the horseshoe, put the horseshoe in the ring on the ring yeah. post. That's right. Yeah. That's you know, pass win, and then you know, got the business. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. I was supposed to take a break a second ago, but I forgot. So uh, let's quickly take a, a break, and we'll be right back. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by. Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. Tired of that same old, same old breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Same old tasting scrambled eggs, burger, that dinner steak, ribs, or pork chops. Why not add a little bit of spice or just a touch of heat to make the difference? Change that scrambled egg with a little bit of Johnny Fabulous's John Cena Sr.'s Million Dollar Jalapeno Hot Sauce. Great on burgers, steaks, chops, and those barbecued ribs. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage. Ask for Jack. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? 
<laughs> well, so do we. So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Hey everybody, welcome back to Wrestling Remembered. I'm What A Day Joe, joined by the player and of course our producer in the booth, Bruce. We're coming back to you now. We are doing some, uh, this time, what? Going back December, what, the 7th to the 10th we're covering, guys? Yes, sir. And uh, more days. We're back to me again. We're going to go back to December 7th, 1997 in Springfield, Massachusetts, as WWF presents D-Generation X in your house. This was a relatively successful event. Uh, held at a smaller venue, only 6,359 attendants, which is not bad for Springfield, Massachusetts, if you've been there. And 159,000 watching via pay-per-view, which is pretty good, actually. Now, this event signified the crowning of Taka Michinoko as the first WWF light heavyweight champion. But more importantly, it's uh, the first singles pay-per-view match between The Rock and Stone Cold. Now, um, I'll run down the card real quick. Obviously, Taka Michinoko defeated the late Brian Christopher for that WWF light heavyweight championship. And then we got Miguel Perez, Jesus Castillo Jr., and Jose Estrada Jr., also known as Las... I can't even read that. Barracas? Barricas, yeah. Um, they defeated... Uh, with Savio Vega, they defeated the Disciples of Acopolis, which was changed uh, B-Ball and Skull. I, I don't remember B-Ball. All right. Uh, Butterbean was shown on this pay-per-view as well as he defeated Mark Merrill with Sable by disqualification. And then moving up the card, we have the New Age Outlaws, uh, Outlaws Road Dog. And uh, Jesse James and Billy Gunn, they defeated the Legion of Doom by disqualification. Let's make note of that. Uh, Triple H with the late China defeated Sergeant Slaughter in a boot camp match. And Jeff Jarrett defeated The Undertaker by disqualification in a singles match. And, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Rocky Mavia with Farouk D'Lo Brown and uh, Kama Mustafa, which we all know is the Legion of Doom. Um, so he retained his WWF Intercontinental title, but more significantly enough, that is the first time they wrestled together. And then, of course, uh, finally, Ken Shanroff defeated Shawn Michaels with Triple H in China by disqualification. No title change hands. This is when uh, Shawn Michaels was the WWF champion at the time. Uh, the pay-per-view overall was given four stars uh, by the wrestling experts, but this is full-blown Monday Night Wars in full swing. And the pay-per-view was not considered a traditional pay-per-view because, remember, it was only the Royal Rumble, uh, Survivor Series, Rumble, Mania, and those were the traditional four. So they actually had – this was like a newer pay-per-view. So you didn't have to pay as much for it. I think I think it was like 30 bucks as opposed okay. to 50 bucks for it. But this kicked off um, the Monday Night Wars, essentially. This is when things started to turn around for the WWF. Uh, more fittingly, you got Rocky Maivia involved now in a title match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. You got everything's coming together. The fire is starting to uh, burn a little bit brighter for the WWE. And, you know, we're going to go into um, later on in the show what happened the night after 
So uh, big stuff here. Uh, but what got me to, I remember this too, because my, my son was watching it at this time. I, w- I was shocked that there was a pay-per-view on in the middle of the year, or towards the end of the year. I'm like, what pay-per-view sure. is this? You're used to the regular pay-per-views. And uh, it was called uh, Degeneration in Your House. They had like this house. I think NXT did a, a replica of that like last year or two years ago. In your house, they had the, the Bruce, you, this is your era, right? This is when the house would go crooked and all that stuff. And yeah, this, is when I was, the couch. this is when I was coming back into wrestling. Yeah, this is what bec- uh, I was coming out of college. And okay. the... Uh, the NWO was such a hot angle at this point, and that kind of got me right. back into wrestling and started watching you know, WWF product again. And this was really – the WWF was still hard to watch at this point, but it was getting to the point of where the Attitude Era was about to break. And you know, I think they were fighting right. back and forth. They were The ratings were about equal at this point. It was uh, – they weren't quite winning, but they were – you know, it was uh, – they were on their – definitely fighting their way back up. Yeah. What, what, what impresses me most about 97 is this is like – the internet is just coming around. It's just starting out. Right. And we didn't know what the ratings were. We didn't have access to television ratings like uh, on the drop of a dime like we have today. So you had to wait sometimes a week or two weeks, sometimes even a month or a season to see how everybody stood with the ratings. But as computers evolved and technology evolved and the ratings war kept going on, the Monday Night Wars, uh, this got pretty interesting in 97 because you knew something was going on with WWF. This was like the, uh, the some... WrestleBoard eras, you know? Are they, yeah, uh... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, WrestleBoard. Oh, yeah. Bring when, back when the Wrestling Observer newsletter was actually physically mailed to you and not available right. online. <laughs> Good stuff, though, nonetheless. All right, well, moving on to December 8th, 1980, Madison Square Garden, uh, Pedro Morales... Defeats Ken Patera in 18 minutes, 51 seconds to win his first Intercontinental Championship. Pedro held the title for 194 days, about six months, before dropping it to the uh, magnificent Morocco. He'd recapture the belt seven, several months later, and he held it this time for 425 days. Yeah, uh, Pedro, I think, was a great champion, and as he would always say, I always ready for any kind of action. I, I was really, as as a wrestling fan, now, when, when Pedro won the title from Koloff, in uh early 71 71 uh, yeah. yeah i was not you now you gotta like from my point of view he was replacing bruno bruno was my hero nobody nobody could replace bruno so i mean in, in like from my perspective there was no way that that pedro was going to be you know one of my favorites but he kind of grew on me i think he was a great champion i mean i guess towards the end uh, he was champion a little bit less than three years uh the gates the gates started faltering the late what seventy three, yeah, and that's when uh, you know you had Stasiak take the title because and Bruno's waiting in the wings to yep. take it back nine days later, which I think we're gonna cover on the show as well. But yep. you know, I, I was really happy when they brought him back and they had him as you know he, it, it, the intercontinental intercontinental championship in nineteen eighty was still a very prestigious title, and I mean if you look at this, a, a total almost uh, two years between the two reigns, right? Yep. I, this is I, I became a fan in '81. Pedro, it was Backlund, Pedro, and Tony Greer, and whoever was the tag <laughs> was the tag champions there. Those are the big three when I got into wrestling. Yeah, and Pedro is synonymous with um, the Intercontinental Title. He's the ethnic background that he had. He was huge in New York. He was huge in Philadelphia, and he was very huge in Boston growing up. If Pedro was on the card. 15,000 people would be chanting Pedro's name just like they would Bruno 
definitely at the Boston Garden. So yes, Pedro Morales was a no-brainer Hall of Fame fame guy. Oh, yeah. he, over big time. But he could – when he slapped those hands, that's when you said any kind of action, he slapped those hands, that he would turn that crowd upside down just by clapping his hands. And he had that face, and he put his hands up, and it was like, wow. You, yeah. knew, you knew he was ready for any kind of action. When I started watching wrestling, Pedro was uh, you know, kind of in his later parts of his career, and they always announced him as – the uh, greatest intercontinental, great intercontinental champion, and they. It wasn't until uh, several years later that I had realized he had been a heavyweight champion too, because they completely never mentioned that from '84 to 1990. So it was only oh, wow. go- going back in reading wrestling magazines and be- learning a little bit more about the history that I learned that Pedro had been a, a world champion. Right. Yeah, and- Pedro. Pedro was great. I mean, his matches with Morocco, Morocco Morales wars. They, I talking with Bill after, uh, you know, the old after magazines that, that them covering that feud was money for that magazine. It was just, it was right up there with flair and uh, Rhodes and all that stuff. Morocco Morales wars were huge and everyone forgets the angle with him and Greg Valentine. He got he, Greg Valentine suplexed uh, Pedro Morales on the concrete floor and Pedro was shaking like a leaf and he got carried off. But a lot of people forget that they had a bare knuckle, a tape fist match feud uh, up and down the East coast back then. Good stuff, though. Am I up again? Yes, All right. Follow up. All right, so we're we're coming off the heels of uh, the next night. We just talked about the D-Generation um, D X In Your House pay-per-view, which set up the Rockstone Cold feud. Let's go to Monday night, the following Monday night, 24 hours later, December 8th, 1997. This is the very next night. Stone Cold surrenders the title to The Rock, declaring that he has nothing left to prove. Stole Cold then hits The Rock with a stunner, uh, dumps the belt into a river. This allows Austin to move on to the WWF title picture. Okay, little things are a little bit out of whack here, and that's okay. So what happened here is Stone Cold, um, Vince McMahon wanted to rematch the next night on Raw. Stone Cold came out and says, I'm not going to fight The Rock again. I already beat him the night before. And then he's like, I don't care. You can take the title here. You have it. So he declares, uh, Vince McMahon declares The Rock the champion. So Stone Cold gives him the title. The Rock thinks everything's peachy keen. And what happens, lo and behold, Stone Cold gives The Rock the stunner and says, not only uh, you're you're not going to get this title, you're going to see what I do with this title next week on Raw. Now, let's remember, folks, back in 97, Raw was always live one week, and then they taped it. That's right. Yes, sir. The following week, like that day or whatever. So what happened was on the following week, now they were in uh, Portland, Maine. This is this is key here. The river that he threw the belt in, they showed the video, is the Pasquatica River, which uh, borders Dover, New Hampshire, and Elliott, Maine. Believe that. So, and this is, you know, so this was already in full motion. Now, RAR is starting to pick up steam now. Who I know in my time, I've never seen a wrestler throw a belt into a river on you know on live TV. That was just unbelievable. And to top it all off, the following week, that Raw that they taped that he threw the belt into the river, do you know what kicked off Raw that night? Vince McMahon's promo saying they are now going to, the new Attitude Era is now upon us. Mm. And this right here is significant because we all know what happens after when the Attitude Era hits. Bruce, you're a big fan of the Attitude Era. You know what happens. It is nothing but... Puppies and blood <laughs> and chair shots. And we all know what happens 
a year or two later, the ratings flip-flop and WWF overcomes WCW and the Monday Night Wars. But this is, no doubt, the birth of the Attitude Era. And too bad it was taped. It wasn't live. It was a tape uh, um, show because they did, they did it for a while until they finally got so hot they could sell out arenas every Monday night. So this, this, is a, this is a very good one that you gave me. And now I did my research on this, and I'm like, yeah, I remember this. And uh, that was all taped in one night, except it was, the other half was shown the following Monday. So it was good stuff. Good stuff yeah. back then. Yeah, the miracle of TV back then. You could never get away with that nowadays. I mean, they, they try, no. but it just does, doesn't work the way it used to. And I think you have to put the live logo if you're really live now, right? Isn't that an FCC thing now? If you are really live, you have to put live. You know when things are taped. When that live logo gets removed off the screen, the watermark, if, you, if it doesn't say live, it's really not live. And I think they have to do that now. I think that's an FCC regulation. <laughs> Let's fast forward one more year to uh, December 8th, 19, uh, 2008. The Slammy Awards were brought back for the first time in 11 years since 1997. 14 Slammy, Slammys were awarded, including Chris Jericho as Superstar of the Year, Miz uh-huh. and Morrison as Tag Team of the Year, and Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels for match of the year for their performance at WrestleMania 24. Just look at those names and the significance. You had a really young Miz, and let's face it, this is a... Yeah, 15 years ago. Yeah, 15 plus years ago, and uh, he's still as relevant now going up against... Still going strong, yeah. He's one of the... He's an underrated talent for the WWE. He's he's one of their MVPs. He will do anything, (laughs) and he can get absolutely anybody over just by talking. It's uh, it's amazing. the superstar of the year, Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho at this point had already been wrestling for how many years? And yeah. for him to be still relevant, what is he, 50, 51 now? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah 51, down. 52, yeah. He's slowing down now, yes. But let's face it, again, 15 plus years ago, and now he's still at the top of the game. And then yeah. the legend, Ric Flair. How old yeah. is Ric Flair at this point? Let's see. Ric Flair oh. had to have been yeah. 50, 59. 59. 59. Yep. 59 to have a match of the year. Yes, it was with Charlotte Shawn was, Michaels. Charlotte was still in college. Charlotte was still in college. She was at ringside for this match. She would have been about 22. Yeah. yeah. Yep. How crazy is that, though? Match of the year at 59. Great match. I mean, really great match. That's the uh, infamous Shawn Michaels. I'm sorry. I love you. I love you. Yeah. And then yeah. Oh, yeah. Kicked him in the mush yeah. after that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's that's it's huge. The Slammy Awards, they should bring those back. <laughs> oh, I love I, I I met Jimmy Hart. He had a, a bar and grill in Daytona Beach. And uh, um, the one thing, I mean, we were chatting and I said, you know, what? one of my favorite Jimmy Hart moments was I said, when you sang uh, Girls in Cars at the 1988 Slammys and he just came to life. He goes, wow, you got a great memory. He just went on and on about that. But yeah. I miss the Slammys. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, folks, moving on. We have December 9th, 1968, Mount Lebanon, PA. And, yes, folks, it's true. It's true. Kurt Angle is born. That's right. Angle would go on to win a gold medal, the 96 Olympics, by the way. Uh, He'd win that gold medal with a broken freaking neck. Oh, yeah. Which we heard throughout his career so many times. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Now, Kurt Angle's resume is just you know, worthy of mentioning, held uh, the WWE Championship four times. I forgot he was a WCW champion. Forgot about that one. Uh, he was a World Heavyweight Championship. He is the 10th triple, triple crown champion and the fifth winner of the Grand Slam. 
And obviously in 2017, he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame and he had to do it. He said he had to do it. So when he got his Hall of Fame induction, he had to bring the milk out and pour the milk on him and drink that milk. So uh, good stuff there. Kurt Angle born. And he's got a book coming out or a documentary or something like that, I read. Great talent. Guy did it all. He did it. He did it. All right. All right. We're, we're going way back now. December 9th, 1974. Toyohashi, wow. Japan. Uh, Jack Briscoe defeats Giant Baba to recapture the NWA World's Heavyweight title. Uh, Baba had defeated Briscoe the week before in uh, Kajoshima, Japan. And uh, so Baba would have two of the reigns, but he had a, the, the three reigns were combined 19 days. What do you, what would happen? NWA would, you know, first Briscoe and then Race did it twice. They, yeah. they, they toured Japan. They, they, you know, the, the opening match, they, they faced Baba. They dropped the title. Then they, you know, they'd go tour for a, a week, maybe, you know, a few days, come back, and then they'd win the rematch, take the belt out of the country. And it, I, it's, I mean, the testament to Baba and his professionalism, but it makes me wonder why didn't the WWF do that, or even like the WWF? You know, Bruno and Baba had a great relationship. You would have th- thought maybe they would have done that once or twice. And it, I mean, they did it once with Backlund and Inoki, but they didn't even recognize it as a title change. Yeah, I recall we touched upon this last week. And um, like I said, it's just the, the respect thing with Giant Baba overseas and the M- NWA doing their due diligence and giving him the title and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, why did the WWF not do it? I wonder why Vince well, Senior wouldn't have thought about that. I, 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 it was too regionalized. Well, WWF w- was strictly Northeast. Yeah, the WWF in my day, they didn't recognize anybody. According to the WWF, they were the <laughs> only ones there. So yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. It was very, very few times I heard like uh, when Gorilla was talking to Bobby Heenan on one of the primetime wrestlings, he mentioned uh, Baba. I think that was the only time uh, I ever heard a reference that there was any other federation out there until Ric Flair came over with that uh, with a big gold belt in I believe it was 90, 91, 92. Well, oh, when they it, would we, occasionally on TV. They used to block it out because he stole yeah. it. <laughs> well, I mean, when 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 uh, Blassie came to the WWF in the early seventies, they billed him as the Pacific Coast Coast Champion. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was rare that anybody was acknowledged as a champion anywhere else. Well, I remember watching the old Madison Square Garden matches on WWE Network, and I want to say seventy nine or eighty, Harley Race uh, fought somebody, a jobber or whatever, and they recognized him. He had his NWA title. Yeah, it was like he was on loan for the night. Oh, we need some guy to fill in. I'll call Harley Race. He's down the Jeez. street. I'm like, okay, so you have the NWA World Chip, and that belt looked beautiful, by the way. The ten yeah. pounds of gold back then looked unbelievable, and here he is in like a, a warm up match. I'm like, wow. I mean, that is this pre territory days, obviously. I mean, um pre-WWE days uh, where you can loan people out, but to actually recognize in Bruno's house that, you know, that the NWA champion who's technically your competition, so to speak, uh, is in the building was kind of neat for me seeing that. Oh, I wonder if they really regarded them as competition. I think it was just, you know, they were, you know, they they each had their, I mean, truly they had their territory and they stayed within their bounds. Yeah. And, you know, it it, it would be loaned out. I mean, I remember growing up watching the Samoans when the titles, you know, they beat Tony Guerrero and Rick Martel on this weekend. And then they're being managed on Georgia Championship Wrestling by Sonny King the next day, but no titles around their waist. So, like, they they flipped, they flew up and down the the coast, uh, filling in and on that stuff. I remember watching wrestling back then. Do you remember watching uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling? They would tell you who's coming to the Omni that night. Oh, yeah, absolutely. These people were on WWF TV a week before. Right. Oh, the Samoans are in town and this. And I'm like, wait a minute. They just wrestled in WWF. Like, I got confused back then. But 
that's when they would just loan the talent out. They would just say, okay, come on down. We'll, we'll grab you. You get you guys. But seeing Harley Race in uh, Madison Square Garden with the NWA title was pretty cool in a yeah. WWF ring. That was kind of neat. Nice. So let's let's mm-hmm. fast forward 27 years to December wow. 9th, 2001. Chris Jericho defeats The Rock to win the WCW World Title, then defeats Stone Cold Steve Austin to win the WWF title and become the first undisputed champion. Now let's let's talk about that. That was Vengeance 2001, and Vengeance. who would have thought a year after that uh, brand split experiment where you know, Shane had WCW, <laughs> Steph had ECW, Vince has yeah. WWF, that it would fall on their flat on their face and they'd have to you know revamp this and uh, kind of unify the titles. But it, hey, that was that was what was going on at that point. But when you take a look at the, this card, what a, what a great card for WWE. You had the APA defeating Billy and Chuck. You had Scotty Tuhati and Albert against Christian and Test. Edge defeated William mm-hmm. Regal. Jeff Hardy defeated Matt Hardy. The Dudley Boys defeated Big Show and Kane. The Undertaker defeated Rob Van Dam for the hardcore title. Trish Stratton defeated Jacqueline for the Women's Championship. Stone Cold defeated Kurt Angle for the WWF Championship on that first title <laughs> match of the night. Chris Jericho defeated The Rock for the World the WCW World Championship. And then the culmination was Chris Jericho unifying those championships and becoming the first undisputed WWF champion. What has Chris Jericho done? I mean, I know. I when I when I saw him come in. To I wasn't a big fan of him in WCW as the uh, the Lions whatever. Uh, but what he oh the Lioness or whatever yeah, yeah. Lionheart Lionheart. Yep. He came in as Y two J and I was like wow this guy's gonna be a solid you know intercontinental guy forever. Well the guy proved me wrong because the guy's done everything in wrestling that you possibly could. He's transcended wrestling as very few wrestlers ever had. So kudos yeah. to, to Chris I mean, Jericho. Yeah. Chris Jericho, Y2K, that whole thing leading up to the Y2K thing, that was like, you talk about lightning in a bottle, because you had the Y2K thing going on and the Y2J thing at the same time, and nobody knew what was going to happen. I mean, you talk about genius. That was unbelievable. Um, But Bruce, Bruce, quickly, the APA, what what did it stand for? Do you remember what it stood for? Accolade Protection Agency. Nice. There you go. I love that. JBL. I met him. Gee, oh, yeah. He, he was just John Bradshaw back then, right? I liked him a lot better then. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually my favorite version of Bradshaw. Yes. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Agree. They were huge. They were huge. They, was, they were wrestlers. There's no doubt about it. him and Ron Simmons. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. So let's go on to December 12th, 1972 in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Ric Flair, fresh out of Vern Gagne's training camp, makes his professional wrestling debut, going to a 10-minute draw with George Scrap Iron Gadaski. 51 years wow. later, we're still talking about Ric Flair. 50-year career. <laughs> wow. Let's talk about Scrap Iron. That's a great nickname. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scrap Iron Gadaski. There you go. You don't hear that one anymore. There's he was one of the uh, AWA enhancement talents. I was going to say, yeah, it's somebody I've never heard of. No, you you wouldn't. I mean, wow! Fifty one years later, we're still t- yeah. We're Ric Flair is no doubt. Um, like I said, we talked about this last week. He is going to be that wrestler that dies in the ring, and whether it comes sooner or later, I have no idea. But you know, he's getting back in the ring one more time. You just know it. Um, now, the, the man other- the man bleeds wrestling. No no pun intended there, but he he's personified the sport. So. 
Weren't there a couple of other significant people in this class of Vern Gagne? If it was uh, class of 72, it would have been uh, – one of them would have been uh, Patera. I thought it was – Probably. Br- yeah, I thought Brunzel and – was Brunzel and Steamboat uh, were his look, uh, great, It was Greg Gagne, Flair, and wow. Patera. I know at least them. Wow. And I think maybe even Iron Sheik. Maybe. Thought, yeah, I know Iron Sheik trained Steamboat. So Steamboat was like a couple of classes after after the Sheik. Yeah, at 72, was, I know it was Flair, Patera, Greg Gagne, and I believe Iron Sheik at least was four of them. Did Morocco, many, many, many of them dropped out. Magnificent Morocco come out of that class too? Because he was trained by Greg Gagne and a couple other guys. don't think so, but I mean, I, I guess it's possible. Sounds familiar. I, I, I might, be too, might be a little early in the years, but um, yeah, that's very Gagne. Unbelievable. But I want to remember Ric Flair. I mean, back in the 70s and even into the early 80s, you know, they called him the war, the touring world champion. So you had a, a lineage. You had Luthez. You had Dory Funk Jr. Oh, yeah. You had uh, Briscoe. You had Terry Funk. You had Harley. You know, and then you had Flair. And these guys would go to every single territory and wrestle whatever. the You know, every every territory had their own championship. And wrestle that that territory's champion, and either you know either barely eke out a win, or you know go to a go to a, do a sixty minute Broadway. And what, I mean, when they left the territory, what they had done was they had elevated whoever that top guy was. You know, right. built up his credibility so that you know he, he could be a be more marketable. It was it was a, a flawless formula. But I, I mean, I want to remember Ric Flair. Ric Flair was a great great world champion. No doubt um, about it. Did Ric Flair ever do any booking that we I, know of? I don't know. Oh, I, not always, that I know, but I mean, I because you look at Dusty Rhodes and he did the booking and he was a champion and the Dusty Finisher we talked about last week and all that stuff. Um, I, I always wondered, did Ric Flair at any I, point in time do the booking? Because that's a good question. I I would say no, but I I because if be he's wrong. strictly all talent, that's amazing. I mean, to to be able to, I mean, like I said, he eats he eats and breathes professional wrestling yeah we're it's not gonna end well for him but he survived the last medical setback a few years back i don't know if you've seen that espn 30 for 30 he was pretty much on his deathbed from drinking right still doesn't want to quit drinking uh no. he survived a plane crash heart attacks injuries he, he's a, the proverbial cat with nine lives the unbreakable yeah unbreakable. Yeah. every wrestling, wrestling ring will be haunted when he passes yeah, I mean, yeah. you talk about somebody who lived the gimmick. Nobody lived the gimmick more than Ric Flair. It's probably the the best trivia question is where hasn't Ric Flair wrestled? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Unbelievable. Iceland, Iceland, maybe. No. maybe. So and now here's a December the tenth, nineteen seventy three. Bruno San Martino ends the nine day eleven thousand picture reign of the man from the fictional town of Bussy Creek, Oregon. The master of the hard punch, Stan Stasiak. So uh, Stan had won it nine days before from Pedro in Philadelphia. Very controversial uh, ending. They both their shoulders were on the mat, and they didn't actually. They both left the arena, I guess, to uh, prevent the, uh, as Billy Graham would say, the pandemonium. Of, you know, of, of informing the crowd that there was a title change. So the title change wasn't announced, I believe, until that weekend on TV. And before you know it, you know. It, he was a placeholder. It's a shame. I mean, the, the, you know, Koloff, I think Koloff would have been a great, you know, give him a reign like Billy had, you know, 10-month reign. I think Koloff would have been a great transitional champion. They gave him three weeks. You know, yeah. Stasiak, I could maybe see the nine days, but, but you know. 
they probably didn't want to take that chance because to me, theoretically looking back, the only real heel champion that sold the place out was superstar Billy Graham. Right. He was lucky enough to get a 10 month reign. Uh, unlike Stasiak for nine days and Koloff for, for I, three weeks or whatever it was. but And I'll always believe that that Superstar's reign, even though he said Vince McMahon told him when he won the title, this yeah. is the date you're going to win it, and this is the date you're going to drop it. But I so you, I, I use the analogy of, you know, you get hired as a temp, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're told you're, you're, you're uh, you know, your tenure is, you're, you know, sure. your job length is 10 months. And, uh, but I'm going to do in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to make it impossible for you guys to get rid of me. And I'm going to, I'm going to so far exceed what you expected from me that you're going to beg me to stay. And I do believe that Billy Graham did that. And yet, I mean, oh, it, yeah, I, cause it, I mean, he was a great champion. If you, ever, he, if you read his autobiography, you went into a deep depression after that, after the loss. Um, I, I could definitely exactly, see that. He, he honestly thought that they were going to extend his reign. And he was making money. He was making bank for that company. He was he was the legitimate, you know, champion and so he forth. He was a, all they had to do was yeah. put him in a tag match with Ivan Koloff and yeah. have the two of them feud. Have Koloff turn on Billy Graham. Boom! Now you got a baby face Billy Graham. You could have got another ten months out of that. And, and you so probably would never have gotten a Hulk Hogan then. Yeah, <laughs> you know but I mean, mean, you could have sold it. You could have sold out the Garden probably for another close to a year. Oh sure. You know, and uh, yeah, that I, I believe they dropped the ball with that, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, it is what it is at this point, but history right. made, history made there. All right, December 10th, last one, folks. December 10th, 1975, Miami, Florida. Terry Funk, the Funkster, defeats Jack Briscoe to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Funk would, along with his brother Dory, become the first and only brothers to win the NWA Championship. Um, Terry Funk would hold the title for 14 months. And in 14 months, he, he went everywhere, from Australia to Japan to Singapore. Um, he would lose it 420 days later to Harley Race in beautiful Toronto, Canada. And, of course, you know, like I said, they are the only true brothers to hold the NWA world title. My biggest question on this is, why did Dory Funk Jr. fail to appear for this match? Does anybody know why? Why Dory, Dory failed to appear? He failed to appear. That's why Terry Funk, Terry Funk took his brother's place. This night because Dory Funk failed to appear. Now, in my Google searches, the only thing I came up with was, I think, a year later that Dory Funk got in a, tr a truck accident um, and he failed. To, he missed a couple of shows, but it, the dates don't jive. Hmm. So I've tried to find out why Dory Funk Jr. was supposed to appear to, to face. Um, who was it? I forget who he fought, but Dory Funk Jr. did not appear. So Terry Funk took over. That's the weird part for me. Like I don't. So was was Dory actually booked to to regain the title? Yeah, I think so. He was uh -huh. either booked to regain or at least wrestle in that match. It's not like they were going far away. They're in Miami, Florida, so you know, at a hotbed of NWA back then. Um, I just don't understand what 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 the reasoning was. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, now I do know that that the reason why Terry Funk's reign was so short because Dory's was almost what five years. Yeah, uh, Briscoe's was I think three. I mean, you know, Gene yeah. Kaniski was three. Typically, yeah. Dez was like seven before that. Um, so they typically held, you know, you held the, the belt yeah. for at least three or four years. Uh, yeah. I guess he was having marital problems and be, from being on the road so much, and he dropped the belt so he could uh, go back home and uh, work on that. Because because yeah. he know. was, I mean, he was a great world champion and he drew everywhere. But lo and behold, history made because 
your brother couldn't make it to the match. Right. <laughs> so you still in form and you win the title. Right. So I don't know if it was a punishment thing. I, I don't know. I don't know how business worked back then, but usually if you're uh, not going to be on the card, they state a reason why, or at least they put that asterisk in there on the Google. Or they, they make some up. Usually travel delays, you know. So yeah, at, at this point, how, what was Terry Funk's gimmick at this point? Was he that, that cowboy gimmick or? No, no. He was just uh, brother brothers wrestling, right? Just some, you know, just a guy out of Amarillo, yeah. Texas. Yeah. No. Vince McMahon put the, that Haas act together yeah, for it, him and all that yeah, stuff. He, you know, because he's from Amarillo and all that double, stuff. Double Cross Ranch in Amarillo, Texas. Double Cross Ranch. <laughs> no, he didn't have – I don't think he had the branding iron back then or anything like that. He was just no. he was just a badass. They were just wrestlers, man. They yeah. went there. They, you know, they wrestled six out of seven nights a week and did what they had to do. So. Great actor, too, Terry Funk. I, I, the, yeah. the, it was, this was you know, before my, before I was born. So it's, it's kind of cool that fast forward 10 plus, 12 plus years is when I got to, you know, get exposed to him. And at that point, he was yeah, it was uh, Jimmy Jack Haas and uh, Terry Funk in the WWF. Yep. yep. That was great stuff back then. Like I, that was good for me because I had never really seen them wrestle until they came. Until Vince brought them over, so I mean, if I saw them wrestle, it was either on old videos or, um, you know, wrestling magazines. You never got to see them in action until they appeared in a WWF ring. So that was kind and of. And then he morphed into uh, Chainsaw Charlie, right? Oh yeah, WrestleMania fourteen. I was there when they won the titles. Yeah, them and uh, Mick Foley, mankind. And he wrestled forever. He retired about thirty-eight times, but just. Yeah, another one stay like away. Ric Flair. Another one like Ric yeah. Flair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Surprised he didn't exactly. die in the ring. <laughs> it, it would have been almost fitting for him because, I mean, he was the ultimate wrestler. I mean, he yeah. Great actor. A, hard, a hardcore wrestler after the age of 50. Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he was – I mean, he he didn't mail it in. He he was doing it all. Yeah. Now, he wrestled with broken arms and everything. He, he oh, did yeah. everything. He didn't let the night out. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff, Yeah, guys. great, great stuff. So, guys, it looks All like right. we're, we've come to uh, the end of another edition of Wrestling Remembered. No, thank you, guys. Uh, that was fun. Uh, you know, uh, what a day. What do you got? To, what do you got to plug before we get on out of here? Well, tonight we are Wednesday nights at seven o'clock on Facebook. What a day in Centerville goes live. And of course, if you tune into the Monty and Farrow at uh, thirty show tomorrow night, Thursday night, seven o'clock, uh, eight o'clock Eastern time, seven o'clock my time, I am going to. to dethrone somebody tomorrow that's all i'm out for blood tomorrow seven, seven to six odds that's it that's it and the twin bill baseball podcast me benny and uh dan all right well yeah as you as uh one day was just saying we got the 30 tomorrow and i'm coming for that title too so you guys both better watch out and i'm gonna turn this over to benny to get us on out of here yeah thanks for uh joining us come back next week for another week in uh of wrestling remembered what a day later guys Later.